Hey there, thanks for joining us here at Compass Church, where we are making God accessible to everyone. If you have any questions or want to learn more about us as a church, head over to our website, compassbn.com. We hope this inspires you and gives you practical ways to live out your faith. Enjoy the message. Well, hey there. Thanks so much for joining me this morning. I don't know about you, but I don't have cable. I realize probably about half of the people listening to this do and maybe half don't. What I do have is a handful of streaming services, though, which when I think about it too much just feels kind of like exactly like cable. But either way, I don't have cable, and so I don't see commercials in the traditional sense. Sure, I see the occasional YouTube ad, but I can skip it after five seconds. And man, when I'm watching a video and I can't skip it and I have to watch a full 15-second ad, I mean, I'm it's just crazy to me. I don't have to see advertisements, at least in the traditional sense, like a video format type of commercial. And so when I do see them, if I'm at my parents or if I'm somewhere where the TV's on and I'm, I'm looking at it and watching it, it's, it's kind of just, I don't know, it's kind of interesting um, commercials. Um, I mean, obviously, we all know that commercials by nature are trying to sell us something. Um, but have you noticed that very rarely do commercials actually say anything at all about the product or the item that they're trying to sell you? This isn't a new concept. I mean, truly, it's just good advertising. But, but I just think it's so interesting that you can watch a commercial, know nothing, not even hear the name of the product or brand that is being, you know, trying to be sold to you. Yet they've invested likely millions of dollars, at least thousands of dollars, into this advertisement for you to see. Check out this example from Subaru that I just saw on YouTube the other day. Thank you for taking me home. It's so far. Don't worry about it, Grandma. This will be fun. Hi, may I have two chocolate milkshakes, please? Make it three. Three? (laughs) I think I might get a dog. Not a puppy, but you know, like a rescue. Did you get his number? No, Grandma. Grandma, what are you doing? Excuse me? Oh, my God. Thank you. Hi. Guy was pretty cute though, right, Grandma? Yeah, it was. (laughs) Some relationships get better with time. (laughs) That's why I got a Crosstrek. 97% of Subaru vehicles sold in the last 10 years are still on the road. I'm so glad you got a Subaru. I wonder who gave me the idea. Love. It's what makes Subaru, Subaru. Now, of course, this is one of millions of examples, but I think it represents something significant about our culture and our world. We are searching for something. And Subaru and all of the brands that advertise to us know exactly that. They know that we're looking for something more. I mean, in that commercial, what is it really telling you? It tells you nothing about the new 2022 Subaru Crosstrek or anything like that. It tells you that if you buy a Subaru or drive or ride in a Subaru, you're going to have fun. You're going to love the people that you're with. You're going to find love, you know, and and you're going to have a great time. You are going to have long lasting, loving, great relationships if you buy a Subaru. In fact, I mean, the little motto at the end, love is what makes a Subaru a Subaru. Are you telling me that the robots in Lafayette, Indiana that put this car together did so with love? No, I, I know they didn't. They're machines. Yet, 
there were thousands of dollars invested into this commercial, this advertisement, because they know that I and you are searching for something more in life. We're looking for love. We're looking for lasting relationships. We're looking for fulfillment. And Subaru wants to be what fills that void in our life. In a nutshell, the way of commercials and advertising is the idea that the more we have, that the happier we will be. The more we have, the happier we'll be. You know, get that new dress or pair of shoes or golf club or geometric potted cactus and naturally you'll be happier. Trade your car in for the new model. It has LED lights around the logo. Nab the bigger, better home or apartment and make sure you furnish it with the latest design trend, preferably from Sweden. Work your way up the ladder at your job. You know, throw an elbow if you have to, but get the promotion, the raise, the bonus. And when you do, you'll be happier. Of course, you know, everybody knows that. Happiness is out there. It's just one Apple Pay tap or outfit or gadget or car payment or mortgage away. Out of reach? Yes, but barely. You know, I, I'm almost there. I can feel it. But let me say what we all know and we're all thinking. That feeling and that idea... It's a carrot dangling in front of our noses, and it's attached to a stick that's tied to our backs. One of the most influential and relevant thinkers in recent history is a French sociologist. His name is Jean Baudrillard, and I'm probably saying his name wrong, but he, he's made the point that in the Western developed world, the world that many of us, the only world that many of us know and have lived in, he makes the point that in this world, the Western developed world, materialism has become the new dominant system of meaning. In fact, he argues that atheism is not what has replaced cultural Christianity. But in fact, shopping has. Shopping. We now get our meaning in life from what we consume, what we possess. We even get our identities from the things that we buy or sell. And most of us would never admit it, but a lot of us actually believe the saying, I am what I buy. Or in a different way, you know, I am what I wear, or I am the brand of my phone, or the car I drive, or the neighborhood I live in, or the gadget that I flaunt. Because for a lot of people, and, you know, not us, of course, <laughs> things aren't just things. They are identities. Shopping is now the number one leisure activity in America, which is taking the place previously held by religion. Amazon.com, the new temple. Visa statement, the new altar. Instagram influencers are the new priests and priestesses. Money and possessions are the new God. Now there's a reason that the only other God that Jesus ever called out by name was Mammon. And Mammon was the God of money. And the reason Jesus calls out mammon is because he knows that money is a bad God and a lousy religion. Now, for all the flack that pastors get for talking about money too much, which, as a note, a lot of which is well-deserved, Jesus actually had a lot to say about it as well. In the Gospels, there are approximately 38 parables that Jesus tells, these stories and illustrations that he uses to bring home a point. And of those 38 parables, 16 of them deal directly with money and possessions. 
16. That is almost half. It's about 42% of the parables that Jesus teach deal directly with money and possessions. And as we continue on our journey through the book of Matthew, we're still in Matthew chapter 6, but we're now in a section of teaching where Jesus is teaching on this topic exactly. He's not telling a parable, but he is teaching about money and possessions. So let's take a closer look at where we're at in the book of Matthew. In Matthew 6, 19, Jesus says this, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Basically, don't invest all of your time, energy, resources, money into things that get old and rust and go out of style and can be snatched from the back of your car if you park too far from the street lamp and can shatter when they fall out of your pocket. Instead of storing up treasures here on earth, Jesus provides an alternative in the verse following immediately in verse 20. He says, instead, store up your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Simple enough, right? There is deterioration, decay, inflation, market crashes, and planned obsolescence when we try to store up our earthly treasures. So Jesus provides an alternative. So we should not do that, Jesus says. We should store up our wealth somewhere else. Heaven, in fact. Because in heaven, none of those things exist. And Jesus isn't just talking about the decay and the deterioration, the moths and the rust. He's talking about the things. Not only are our treasures not going to break down and get old in heaven, but they aren't actually able to be stored there at all. Jesus is stating that we should be putting our lives into things that matter, like our relationship with God and life in his kingdom. But this is not the end of the passage here that we're looking at today. Jesus brings home his point in the following verse, in verse 21. He says this, listen closely, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Matthew 6, 21. So Jesus says, you know, don't invest all of your resources in things that get old and rust and go out of style and can be stolen, but instead put our lives into things that matter, like our relationship with God and life in his kingdom. And then he gives us the reason in verse 21 that we just read, because where you put your resources is where you put your heart. It's the steering wheel to the engine of desire. Our heart is. There are a couple big things that I want to note about this final line in this passage that we're looking at today. The first thing I want to mention and talk about is the word treasure. Jesus isn't speaking about literal pirate treasure. You know, the first thing I think of when I think of the word treasure is like a wooden chest with a big brass lock on it that's creaky and that squeaks when you open it, you know. But Jesus isn't talking about that. In fact, he isn't even speaking about possessions in general. When Jesus is using this word treasure, he's using the word to describe the things that a person values most highly. You know, in the same way that I treasure the special moments I get with Bennett as he's so young, you know, that I'll never get back. I treasure these moments that we're getting right now. Jesus is speaking about what we value most. He's speaking about our true desires, our deepest, truest desires. And he's making us evaluate what they are. What really are my treasures? 
The second thing I want to note about this passage is the phrasing and kind of the construction of this sentence, you know, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Notice that it is not a command that Jesus gives. He's not saying, you know, you need to put your heart where your treasures are or vice versa. He's not even suggesting something, you know. It, it might be that your heart is where your treasures is. I don't know. Take a, take a look. No, it is a statement of fact. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's a law of life in the same way that I know if I toss something up into the air, gravity is going to bring it down. Jesus knows and is telling us that where our treasure is, that is also where our heart is. That is just the way it is. Where you put your resources and what you really care about and desire in life, you know, early retirement, your new job, happiness, companionship, security, whatever it might be, is where your heart is if that's what you truly desire. No doubt about it. Here's what I'm taking away from this teaching of Jesus today, and maybe you can take it away too. It's this. What we desire determines where we're devoted. Let me say that again. What we desire determines where we're devoted. It's really just my kind of, you know, summary uh, or restating of what Jesus says. Where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. What we desire determines where we're devoted. So the natural next question what do you desire? It's an important question because the answer tells us where our true devotion lies. Do you plan, think, worry, get excited about financial security? I do, if I'm being honest. Do you constantly work to make more money or get promoted? Or are you looking constantly for a better job so that you can buy more to keep up with the Joneses? Or in today's language, more appropriately put, to get more likes on Instagram? It isn't even only about the obvious stuff like, you know, cars and houses. That's not the only, you know, stuff about wealth that we're talking about here, possessions. I mean, do you love your spouse or your family or your friends or just quality time with those you love so much or your free time or, or your relaxation so much that you sacrifice time in the body of Christ, you know, serving, worshiping fully or engaging with the word of God? What do you desire? We need to know the answer to that question because when we answer what we desire, we're also answering, where am I devoted? And for some of us, many of us, the answer might be a little scary. The reality is the world wants us, wants us to constantly desire more this, more that, better this, better that, upgrade this, upgrade that. Your stuff is old. Get the new one. You don't have enough clothes. Whatever the message may be. But if what we desire determines where we're devoted, then we need some help getting our desires in order. Or it, at least I do, if I'm being honest. So just as a note, generally, I mean, this this talk, this message is, is not to you. It is really for me, and I just hope that you can get something out of it because God has spoke to me through these um, passages of Scripture, and I hope that he can too. I need help getting my desires in order. When it comes to money or possessions, our treasures, our desires— I think that there are three attitudes that we should have. 
And if we can be striving after these three attitudes with all that we have, our desires are going to begin to fall into order. And we're going to be able to order our desires around Jesus instead of what really often is our true desire, our money and our possessions. So the first attitude that we should be striving after and that we can have to get our desires in order is that we are receiving all that we have as a gift. These would be great to write down, by the way. The first attitude we should have is that we receive all that we have as a gift. Even though all that we have, you know, sure, comes from money that we make at our job because we applied and we have experience and we were good enough to get it or whatever, we all know, at least as followers of Jesus, we know that all that we have comes from God. We should have an attitude of thankfulness in the big, you know, thank you God for my life, that I am still here for my home, and in the small, you know, thank you God for this new day. Thank you, God, that, you know, I have food on the table. Thank you, Jesus, for all that I have. That's the attitude that we should be having. What a blessing it is to be gifted this life from you. When we receive all that we have as a gift, we begin to realize that our money and possessions, you know, maybe we shouldn't be valuing them so much. We receive all that we have as a gift. The second attitude that we can have is we release all that we have to be cared for by God. This one, I mean, I am so, I am so much speaking to myself. Even if we are thankful and recognize the generosity of God for all that we have, it's so easy to fall into the trap of thinking that because God has gifted it to us, it is our sole responsibility to protect what we possess. The reality is, it's not. Yes, we need to be taking good care and stewarding the things that God has blessed us with. But God is, of course, able and willing to do that for us. In fact, he is the one who is carrying that weight. He is the one who is truly protecting our possessions. He is the one that is caring for all that we have. Now, does this mean that we leave our cars parked in the driveway, doors open with the keys and the ignition? Of course not. That would just be foolish. But even though we park our cars in a garage and shut the door and maybe even lock the car door, we know that not even the strongest of locks or the most secure garages is actually what is protecting our car. It's God at the end of the day. That is the second attitude we need to have. We're releasing all that we have to be cared for by God. The third and, I think, final attitude that we can have to just get our desires in order and really maybe even answer the question, what is it that I desire, is that we make all that we have available to others. At Compass, we have a core value of living open-handed. And that's what this attitude is all about. If our money and possessions are not available to those in need in our community and in our world— then they may have well be stolen. Let me say that again. If our money and possessions are not available to those in need in our community and in our world, then they may as well be stolen. God gave us what we have. Do we not trust him to do it again? Only when we open up our hands and share with those around us is God able to put more into our hands at all. 
We need to make all that we have available to others. The reality is there are some people listening to this that have more things and more resources to, uh, to available to them than other people. And for those of us who have more in certain situations, we should be sharing. This is a lesson we teach our children, sharing. And this is a lesson that we can learn from Jesus as well. So three attitudes. We receive all that we have as a gift. We release all that we have to be cared for by God. And we make all that we have available to others. What you desire determines where you're devoted. This isn't only what Jesus taught, it is how he lived. And if we truly attempt to let these three attitudes impact our lives, we will be one step closer to desiring God in all things and storing up endless wealth and treasures in heaven instead of on earth. Now, it should go without saying, but these three attitudes and and this principle as a whole, you know, our desires determining where we're devoted— should not just be a nice idea that gets us thinking differently about what we have. No, it should go further, and it should impact the way that we live in our daily life out in the world. You know, I think a lot of times when churches talk about money, we spend so much time and effort talking about the 10% that we want people to be tithing to the church. And being a percentage giver is so important, and I'll encourage you to do so, but... It's not as though Jesus only has something to say about 10% of our income. He has something to say about the other 90% as well. And if we have these three attitudes, I think we can begin to have a clearer picture of what it is that Jesus wants us to do with our money and possessions and how he wants us to use them. I want Compass to be a church full of followers of Jesus that thinks about how we spend our money, not by the world's standards, but by Jesus' standards. You know, letting it impact the types of clothes that we buy and wear. Letting, you know, this impact the types of foods that we eat and drink. The way that we give and share with our community. The amount of things we own altogether. Do we really need to have, you know, in this country so many storage units full of stuff that people have just forgotten about? Or would Jesus have us do something else with our excess things? You know, the amount of debt that we allowed ourselves to get into. I want Compass to be a church full of followers of Jesus that allow these attitudes and this idea not only to be a nice idea, but to impact our actions. The way of Jesus offers the best possible life we could ever live. And when it comes to money and possessions, a life that is not concerned with accumulating temporary stuff here on earth and is concerned with living so that we may store up our heavenly treasures, that is the best scenario possible. That is how we live the best possible life regarding our money and possessions. It's not by having a better investment strategy. It's not by saving up a bigger pile of cash. I'm not saying that money is evil, but hoarding resources beyond what we need is not the way of Jesus. What we desire Our truest desires, our treasures, what we desire determines where we're devoted. So where are you devoted? What do you desire? What is the majority of your money, your thinking, spent on? That's what you desire. So what does that say about your devotion? 
Again, I want Compass to be a church full of followers of Jesus who are devoted to living in life, living life in Jesus' kingdom. So what does that mean about what we need to be desiring? I think these three attitudes can help us get where we want to be. So let's be a church that desires what really matters. Thanks again for joining us today. If you want to learn more about us as a church, get connected, need prayer, or anything else at all, head over to our website, compassbn.com.